I want to thank Pastor Rick and the church for the invitation. I feel like we've been in the presence of God already. I want to thank Jonathan for your help, Krista, and Steve, um, Don up there. God bless you guys. You're spoiled, you know. I travel to a lot of churches once. (laughs) And you keep inviting me back. But very rarely do I hear music like we've heard this morning. So I don't know if you do it often, but... and, And often when I travel to other places, the music and worship team and the choir are all up here for their own amazement, you can tell. Not your church. Maybe you could express your appreciation to Steve and everybody who did the job this morning. And Asante Sana to the Christel group. You got the Mazungus going. <laughs> Meaning foreigner, okay. Um, just in case you wondered. We're all involved in a a race of some kind. I am not a fan of reality TV. My wife is. Many of you are. You need prayer. (laughs) There's a show called The Amazing Race. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are like me that don't watch it, the theory is this. group of teams get separated and then they take off around the world following clues And they go through all kinds of hardships and dangers and struggles, which keeps you coming back every week to see which team has been eliminated and which team is still going. And eventually they get to the end and they win the million-dollar prize and everybody's excited. One night as my wife was watching this, she turned to me unsuspectingly as I was reading and she said, you know, you and your brother ought to do it. I said, excuse me? She says, you're naturals. You're missionary kids. You've been all over the world. You know how to do this. You know how to travel. You know how to do all this kind of stuff. Well, for a moment, I kind of basked in the adulation of my wife. (laughs) And then she added the kicker, of course, it would have to be some kind of senior citizen's edition or something like that. (laughs) We are old. Been coming here a long time. I can prove we're old. My wife and I are driving in the United States this past, I think it was a year ago. She said, I'm hungry. Being the awesome husband I am, we pulled into Wendy's. We roared in. Disinterested, gum-chewing clerk behind the counter, served us our food, took our money. As we backed away slowly, my wife saw it on the board. Seniors, 55 and older, discounts. She said, I'm going to get it. I said, oh, come on. We got our food. We got our money. It's all changed. You're not going to believe us. Let's let's get away. No, I'm going to get it. She walked right up to the counter, and I'm fumbling for my wallet, going, okay, we got to get ID out and everything for this wretched meal. And she said to the girl, she said to the girl, that that seniors thing, 55 and over, the girl without moving a muscle said, I already gave it to you. (laughs) True story. True story. See, each of us as Christians are in various stages of a race. We're running. 
but it's the real amazing race. It's the race handed down through the generations to Christians who name the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, whether you realize it or not, you are running in a real amazing race. So follow me as we go through the scripture really quickly to get a foundation for how we're going to do this. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11.3 gives it an artistic nuance. The worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, the infinite God, who always was, is, and always will be, took time out and framed our finite time as a painting, a mosaic. And as he paints that mosaic and hangs it in the hall of heaven... It comes to the end of that edge that has yet to be painted. And you and me are right on that edge as we sit here this morning. Enter Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And disobedience mars the perfection that God intended for his people. At least Eve was deceived. Adam sinned deliberately. Go home and discuss that one. And all of a sudden, we are introduced to horrific, satanic counterculture. For the first time, we recognize good and evil. And from Genesis 4 to 11, humanity begins to separate itself from the perfection that God created for it. Until Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, which is our scripture this morning, where God turns the Almighty, the infinite God, in 1 to 3, and he turns to an old Jewish couple, which is what I identify with in the old. An old Jewish couple and said, you're not finished yet. I am going to bless not only you and your nation, I am going to bless all nations through your children. And they didn't even have a child. They were too old to have a child. What an amazing promise from an almighty God. The redemption, the separation from God that had happened with the satanic counterculture, the redemption was announced. There was a way back to God, to be healed and to be restored in fellowship with God. And all down through the Old Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's summarized. We see that redemption affirmed for us over and over again. You know the stories because you heard them in Sunday school. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab. Rahab? Moses, we understand... He grows up in the courts of Pharaoh. He gets his PhD from the University of Alexandria. He has all the wealth and privilege. He is a leader. He is out there. God looks at him. But Rahab, don't you love our God? You can grow up in Pharaoh's court, or you can grow up on the streets. And if God gets a hold of you, you're listed as a hero or heroine. What was it that Rahab did? Well, she hid the spies. No, that's not what it is. I mean, she did hide the spies, but she turned to the spies at one point and she said, we are all terrified in Jericho because we know your God is the only God. And she's listed. And all down through the heroes of the faith, In Hebrews chapter 11, it empties out into the wonderful announcement 
to a young Jewish girl engaged to be married. And redemption has arrived. Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. The infinite God, the almighty God, comes down to our finite time and for 33 years hangs out with us all the way to the cross. I like what Oswald Chambers says. The cross is the point where God and sinful man merge with a crash. And the way to eternal life is opened. But the crash is on the heart of God. The greatest note of triumph that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that sounded on the cross of Christ. It is finished. It is the last word in the redemption of humanity. That thing that was broken and by Adam and Eve has now been restored. There is a bridge back to God. Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. We are conquerors. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I wasn't Fellowship Baptist, I'd get excited, but we're not allowed to be excited, so I'll just leave it there. Incredibly, this awesome, redemptive story, you can be in a relationship with the almighty, infinite God, is delegated to a motley group of guys who faintly resemble you and me. And they are told to take the gospel everywhere. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the clearest expression for world evangelization. Mark 16, 15, communicate the gospel to every person in every place. Luke 24, for those of you who read the end of the book before the start of the book and you want to know how it's going to turn out, there's a summary of what will take place in all the nations. And John 20, Jesus sends us into the world the same way God sent Jesus into the world. Awesome and terrifying And he says, we'll do even greater things. All of this empties into Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Where does Acts 1.8 start? It's okay. That's the North American answer. Okay. It's a good answer. Not being critical. But the North American way of doing things and our relationship with God tends to be project-driven. We're doing things for God. Where do we go, Lord? What's the geographical location I am supposed to go to? Acts 1.8 starts with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here this morning, like I was challenged a number of years ago on this verse, if you're here this morning and your devotional life is not good, your intimacy with God is not good, stop trying to do things for God because the power of the Holy Spirit is not in you. Get intimate with God and then you go out in His power and He accomplishes it. The disciples stand there. Jesus ascends into heaven. They're all looking up. An angel comes down going, what are you doing? Get going. He told you what to do. And the rest, as they say, is history. The gospel from that point has been shared, received, shared, received, shared, received, until somebody sat in front of you and told you you needed Jesus. The gospel protected, preserved down through the generations, through the centuries. People died to to give you that gospel. 
People were tortured and imprisoned to give you that gospel. People were faithful all the way down. You have a spiritual heritage till somebody sat in front of you and you saw that you needed Jesus. You could be reconciled to God. And if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with God, I echo what Steve said. Talk to some of the church members who you respect as Christians and they'll show you how you can be reconciled to a holy God. We stand on the shoulders of previous generations of Christians who have faithfully run their amazing race and it empties out into Canada in the year 2009. What kind of world do we have here, gang? A number of weeks ago, I began a study in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. The children of Israel fascinate me because the children of Israel are very much like me. They do well for a bit, then they blow it, then they do well, they ask for forgiveness. They're very consistent in their inconsistency. They remind us a lot of our own Christianity. But I wanted to study what it was that God hated that they were doing. Were there things that they did that God hated more than others? And I was amazed at what I came up with for my own life. Now, I'm speaking to me here this morning. We live in Canada in a secular, progressive society. Young people especially, listen to me. You have been taught, wake up, okay? You have been taught all your life, from the moment you went to school, on television, the entertainment industry, the internet, the politicians... Everybody has been teaching you to live like a secular progressive. And it mirrors, the three main points mirror exactly what is happening in Canada. And it mirrors exactly what God did not like about the children of Israel. A number of years ago I heard a gentleman named Louis Giglio, a great American statesman. Louis Giglio said this. Now, these are his words. Please forgive me. You remember Moses? He goes out in the desert. He sees the burning bush. And a voice comes out of the bush and says, Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. I need you to go back and free the children of Israel. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not gifted. I can't do anything. Hey, if I tell you to do something, I'll give you the gifts and the abilities to do it. You have the gifts and the abilities. Now go. Well, I need a reference then, God. Who's sending me? What's your name? My name is Jehovah. No, I need something better than that. What's your name? And God uttered that famous statement, I am that I am. But you can call me I am for short. Now fast forward to the New Testament. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's eating locusts. He's dressed in camel skins and goat hairs. And the religious leaders come out to speak to him. And they say, what are you doing out here? the people who are supposed to know what's happening in the Christendom, in the church. So they go inspect John the Baptist, and they said to him, Who are you? And I love John the Baptist's answer. Louis Giglio talking. I am not. That's Christianity in a nutshell. The first thing you've been told, gang, in this secular progressive society is that there is more than one God and there are many ways to God. When the Bible teaches absolutely clearly there is only one God. And God hates the worship of other people, other things. 
And I don't know what it is in your life or my life, but I've got to look into my life and see, am I worshipping other things? Am I worshipping other people? Am I worshipping ideologies? Am I worshipping politicians? Am I worshipping entertainers? Am I listening to them more than God? If so, I need to repent because I have other gods. And in fact, the greatest tenet of secular progressive is that you replace God with yourself. You are God. A.W. Tozer says, The labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, how can you hope to find inward peace? I travel a lot on airplanes. If you've ever flown into Chicago on a bad, busy day, you know that there's lots of other airplanes up there with you that you can't see. Now, I'm a pilot, so I know that up front, there's two people who are listening to somebody on the ground say, fly this vector, fly, it's like highways, this vector, this vector, this vector, and you will land safely because you've got lots of other people out there with you. There is only one way to go. Fly the vectors we tell you, and you will land safely in Chicago. I do not want my pilots up front going, hey, there's lots of ways to land. I'm just going to go the way I want to. I can get down there anytime I want. I'm not waiting in this lineup. Young people, there's only one God. I am. The second thing is the sanctity of human life. Israel began, when they started worshipping other gods, to offer their children, you can read it in the Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, offer their children in the fire to other gods. God says it's a detestable thing that even I could not think of such an abomination. When you replace God with yourself, you start down a slippery slope, and you then begin to see yourself as the judge of all people, and you begin to think yourself that you're more important, you're more special than other people. Including babies in the womb. Now, I'm not making a political statement here. You can come and argue with me after the church service on your politics. But I find it reprehensible and very secular progressive insidious of Satan that the new president of the United States of America is the most liberal person ever to vote on abortion in the United States as a politician and has even made the claim, and I quote, if a baby survives an abortion, I want the baby killed because I don't want my daughters to have to make the same decision twice. That is sin. But it's not just abortion. And by the way, I know some of you may have thought that was the only way out. And we're not condemning. Certainly not me. You go before God and God forgives all. But it's not just babies in the womb, it's all people. Oh, but Mark, we're Canadian, we're tolerant, we're peacekeeping, we're, we love everybody. Right? I saw this in Edmonton. I'm walking through the Edmonton airport, and you know the Indigo bookstores? They had a banner up on the wall, all the way across the wall, went the whole store, and this is what it said, the world needs more of Canada. Yes. 
Canadian authors, Canadian culture, Canadian tolerance, Canadian peacekeeping, Canadian inclusiveness. The world needs more. What if that had read, gang? The world needs more of the United States of America. See, you can very easily begin to think you're better in God's eyes than other people. It helps when you're feeding a 33-year-old who's starving to death in Ethiopia. You do not feed a 33-year-old who's starving to death in Ethiopia or the Congo. And please be here tonight if you can. That group is doing important work. You don't feed a 33-year-old in Ethiopia who's starving to death so that you can preach to them. You feed them because God loves people in their humanity. Every human being is precious to them. And young people, do not let them give you that lie. God knew you before you were conceived. He loved you in the womb the moment you were conceived. He has a purpose for your life, a race for you to run. He will give you gifts and abilities no matter what your background is. You're valuable. An anonymous disciple once wrote this, Christians are distinguished from others neither by country, language, or the customs they observe. They marry as do all. They begat children, but they do not cast away fetuses. They have a common table, but not a common bed. And the third thing is moral absolutes. When you replace God with yourself, you not only judge other people as valuable or invaluable, you begin to decide what is right and wrong. Well, this is right. That's wrong. And I know the dogma of the Fellowship Baptist. I am one. I can say this. Nobody else can. We don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, and we eat at the rest swishily every Sunday to beat the Pentecostals there. That's our dogma. That's what we do. Please get us out on time, Mark. That's what we do. Well, I don't like a religion where all it is is a bunch of rules made up by old white guys who want to spoil my fun. See, I used to feel that way too. I used to argue that it was nothing but rules and regulations until I found in the word of God the right answer. It's God's judgment. Here is what Francis Schaeffer says. Now listen to this. If you want significant man or persons, I guess, in our generation with absolutes, morality, and meaning, then you must have what the Bible insists upon, that God will judge men justly, and they will not be able to raise their voices because of the base on which he judges them. That is the answer. You're not obeying rules to please men, or the church, or your parents, although you should listen to them for advice. You're obeying God's word in your life so that one day when you die, and we all will die in this room, every single one of us, and we don't know when that is. You can be on an Air France plane going from Brazil to Paris thinking your life is normal and you can be taken out any moment. You're going to stand before God and he will judge you and you won't have a thing to say because in the Bible he told you how to live, he told you what was right and wrong, and you didn't apply it or you did. Hallelujah. That's the answer. Oh, you say, that's tough stuff. (laughs) That's really hard. Yeah, it is. The Bible predicts, Jesus said, that Christians, when you run your race in the world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
I found this quote from Soren Kierkegaard. That's to impress you that you think I read him. I don't. I can't even understand his name, but I love this quote. Act just once in such a manner that your action expresses that you fear God alone and man not at all, and you will immediately in some measure cause a scandal. Hey, he's told you it's going to be that way. You're going to walk out of here in a secular progressive society and you're going to say there's one God and you're going to cause a scandal. You're going to say every life is valuable. Every person is valuable, including the Americans. And you're going to cause a scandal. You're going to walk out of here and say, no, there is a right and wrong. This is what the scripture has said in my heart. The Holy Spirit has convicted me of. And you're going to cause a scandal out there. Start doing it. But, As one of the brothers prayed for me this morning, before we came out here, and I appreciated it, he prayed about the hope that we have in our hearts, our ability to articulate that hope. And I love that verse in 1 Peter 3.15, because what he says is, articulate it with gentleness and respect. And do you know who's speaking? It's Peter. It's the Don Cherry of the first century. And he's going, go into the corners lightly. Do it with respect. But know what you believe and don't compromise. Well, that's all up to Canada. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Way back when, God promised Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that he would bless the nations through them. And you and I sit here this morning from all parts of the world, probably very few of us have pure Jewish roots or pure Jewish heritage in our life, and we sit here as shining examples of God keeping his promise. The world has been blessed by God through his Christians. Your pastor, Rick and Lynn, are at our Mid-Pacific Center And they are meeting with Christian leaders, not people who want to be leaders, people who already are leaders, dynamic Christian leaders from all over the world. Christians who are 70% people who are Christians in a secular business or secular company. They're CEOs, doctors, lawyers, professionals. 30% are ministry people. And all this picture shows me is, wow, God kept his promise. And if he kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah, he's going to keep it for you. They teach that they got their gifts and abilities from God. Am I right? They got their jobs from God. Can he take it away? Oh, yeah. Can he give it back? Oh, yeah. But he gives you that platform of your work, of your neighborhood, of your school, and he asks you to use your gifts and abilities to reach and influence the world for God. Can you imagine if Christian leaders from across Canada, men and women, got excited about God? Can you imagine if this congregation stopped leaving it to the pastors and the paid missionaries and really went out and saw their positions, their gifting from God, and used their abilities for God? So we're going to close this service the way they close it. At the Mid-Pacific Center. Every 25 days they have a graduation of people like this. And I know we're Fellowship Baptists, and I know this is hard to do, but I want you all to stand, and I want you to kind of get together as best you can from there, come this way, and I'm asking you to hold hands. Because this is what they do in the mid It's the only reason I'm asking you to do it, so they do it in the Mid-Pacific Center, okay? So away we go.
Okay, here's how they, they say it. Congratulations on your graduation, because it's hard work. So I'll modify it. Congratulations for surviving the sermon, listening to me for that length of time. Do you realize this will be the last time on earth, and it's true, that all of us will be in the same room together at the same time? Last time. It will never happen like this again. Now, some of us may see each other, but we're not all going to be together here on earth. So, when you die, and you go to heaven, and you knock on the pearly gates, and whoever in your theology allows you into heaven, Peter, whoever it is, all right, this is what you're going to say to them. Hi, my name is, and I'd like to be directed to the Calvary Baptist Church Pavilion. (laughs) Because I want to see all the people whose shoulders I've stood on. All the people that started this church, that down through the generations have built this church and have kept it going. I want to see what my group did. The group that stood right here with me on this date in June in 2000. I want to see what we did for God. I want to know how passionate we were and how we stood for one God and the value of human life and moral absolutes. And then I want to see who comes after us. I want to see all the people we've influenced for God. In the power of Jesus Christ, you can do it. Until one day we all empty in that great worship service, and I think the Africans are going to be leading the music, just by their enthusiasm. We're going to stand before God, and we're going to read these words together. Let's read it. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Calvary Baptist Church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the redeeming power of Jesus Christ, and in the love of Almighty God, the infinite God, who loved us and sent his Son for us, Run your race. Run it with passion. Amen. You may Amen. be seated.